to another episode of No Small Jobs. I'm your host, Paul Newen. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, I hope you like what you've been hearing. Uh, make sure that you check out our website, nosmalljobspod.com.au. Keep a track of all the new episodes and extra little quotes and tidbits on our social media, uh, various social medias. That is the handle, No Small Jobs Pod. That is Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Make sure that you connect in with our community and our group. If you have interesting things you want to share, if you have people with interesting lives, feel free to join the group and uh, start a conversation or join in on a conversation. We're always welcome, always happy to hear from you. Uh, and always make sure to check out our previous episodes. We've got some good ones in the back catalogue. Really interesting careers, really interesting personal stories and various ways in which you can inspire yourself if you're in the midst of a career change. So... Today, my guest is Lena. Lena is a multi-hyphenate. She is a, here we go, piano teacher, vocal coach, singer, songwriter, author, and the owner of Lena's Music House. Hi, Lena. How are you going? Hi, Paul. Thank you for having me. That's all right. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Um, so, obviously, we've got a lot of different, uh, all within the same industry, of course, different jobs to cover with cover today. But let's start from the beginning. What uh, inspired you to into the world of music? I started teaching piano for my piano teacher at her music school when I was 14 years old. So at the time I was wanting to be a doctor and um, I was thinking that um, I'll do work experience um, where all the cool people were going, which was at um, Woolworths, which was Safeway at the time, mm. and Pizza Hut. And then <laughs> um, my mentor, who was my piano teacher, thought that I was wasting my talent and um, she goes, how about you teach piano at my music school? So I started teaching at 14, and then because I had been learning piano for my entire life, and I wanted to change, so after year 12, I decided to study a science course because it would offer me more job opportunities and stability because um, I think we know that music careers, it's not very stable, and mm. the income, um, there's really not much to survive financially on music. So I decided to do Bachelor of Science, thinking that it will offer me more stability. But then in my first year of university, I failed chemistry and physics, biology. In short, I failed the first year. Which is kind of fundamental and, to a science degree. <laughs> yeah, in my science degree, I was like, I was um, actually really into science at the time because there was um, all these TV shows with forensic science and science was made really cool at the time mm. and everything was quick results, all the scans that they did, they just made everything look cool being a scientist and then um, when I went into first year, it wasn't exactly that, it was very different and um, it was very repetitive and everything was very strict. So it was not as cool as I thought it would be. <laughs> and you had to actually study really, really hard. There were just lots of things to remember. And it just wasn't exactly what I thought it would be. Mm. And I didn't enjoy it. But then I still had to continue doing it because I was like, you know, I need this certificate <laughs> to get a job. And so Melbourne University actually... Um, threatened to kick me out because I was failing so much in my first year. Wow. They actually asked me to see the board and to ask the reasons why I was failing so much, why I was struggling and how they could help me. And then um, they eventually realized that I was teaching piano for a lot of hours. Like my course for first year was 30 hours contact. The labs were four hours long. 
and we had to be at uni, we were marked on our attendance with tutorials. Our lectures were at 8am in the morning, so I'll be at university 8am in the morning till 5pm at night, 6pm sometimes, and I'll rush back home to teach piano till 10pm, and then I'll study from like 11pm till 2am, and then wake up and do all that again for my entire first year. So you were still so, teaching piano, yeah. so you, said you started teaching piano at 14, and you were, you were still doing that all the way through uni, uni time as well? Yes, it was my first part-time job, and I kept it all the way through university. Mm. Did you ever wonder if it was a sign that, like, you know, as, as you said, obviously you would you would work yourself quite hard, and you had you had an intent, an idea about what you wanted, and it's it, the the the, the type, I think the term is sunk cost effect, the idea that if you've invested enough time in, so for your science degree. I kind of feel like you're obliged to finish it, even if you're struggling or or not enjoying it as much. I mean, did you, did you, ever, yeah, did you ever think that maybe it was it was your brain or your universe telling you actually this isn't what you want to do? My brain at the time was I was using it as more of a backup plan. <laughs> so because I always knew I wanted to do music, but then if I just did music, it was not a competitive competitive advantage for um, what I was able to do. So, for example, um, the reason why I say that is that I wanted to have a school that offered education services in all areas, so academics and music. Mm. And I didn't want to just offer music lessons because my life revolved around academics a lot as well being from asian background like academics was a very heavy focus doing music alone was not accepted and i did enjoy my academic side so that's why i did science so then that way when i graduated from science um music if that fell through music performance side i could still teach science academics and music. So my dream was always to open up a school that offered academics and music lessons. Mm -hmm. So I needed that science degree to do that. Okay. So, I mean, obviously with, 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 um, with, if you want to get into education, is there a reason why you couldn't have done a like a bachelor of arts with an education focus instead? Because then I can't teach science academic side. Oh, it's I like see. If I did, yeah. So I wanted to not be just a musician, just in music. I wanted to do two things mm. because um, I did a lot of research in uh, how the industries were like for different industries. And when I wanted to be a doctor, I went to my GP at the time and I asked him um, if I was to be a doctor, um, can you give me any advice on how to get there? And then he actually talked to me out of it. He said that for a woman, it's really, really hard. You have to set aside 12 years. So if you want to be a doctor, you need to specialize if you want stability and if you want the financials. So um, if you don't have 12 years to set aside, don't do med. And um, think about if it's 12 years that you've set aside, you're going to be in your 30s by the time you graduate. You can't have your family before that. You need to have it after that. So then, you know, you have to think very carefully if you want to pursue this career path because you need to dedicate 12 years to it. So he took me out of it. He was like, you know, if you don't have 12 years, don't do it. So I went to my optometrist. And I was like, all right, um, I want to be an optometrist now. Can you give me any tips? And he was like, but then your personality won't suit being an optometrist. You're going to be stuck in this room every day. 
can you do this for the rest of your life? And I was like, okay, maybe not optometry. <laughs> and then I went to my dentist. I was like, I want to be a dentist. Can you give me some tips? <laughs> and he was like, are you sure you want to be looking in people's mouths every day? Like, you know, it's great um, to do this, but the thing is it doesn't suit your personality. So I was like going around asking people like, you know, like, oh, can you give me some tips? And then no one actually wanted me to do what they were doing. I know. You had some really negative health professionals around you. I'm a bit worried about the state of the industry, <laughs> actually. <laughs> yeah. So that's what um, happened growing up. Like I had my teacher saying, you know, if you want to do something, go and talk to the professionals. Ask them what their job involves, uh, what tips they give you. And then um, no one enjoyed their job at the time. So I was just like, okay, well, um, I'm just going to do my science because now I don't know what to do. At least it gives me the chance to apply for something in the medical profession after my science degree. But yeah, so pretty much that's why I ended up doing music and science because I just didn't know exactly whether to pursue the medical profession since they said that. I was like, okay, education sounds like a pretty good career path since I love teaching already. So I'm going to just do this first science and music. Um, if I don't go into specialization of med, I will just do education and pursue music and academic education further. So just, I mean, I, we, we're definitely, we've obviously got a lot more of your career to move move through, but I really want to just go back to the med thing. So from, it, what insp it, when you were younger, obviously you were, you sounded like a pretty amazing piano player and therefore a piano teacher, but what inspired you to want to be a doctor? Was it purely the security of it? Was it parental influence or, or was it something else entirely? Um, my grandma was a doctor and my mum was a nurse. So since young my bedtime stories my mum would always say how um how great my grandma was to be a doctor and it's great for a woman to be able to um, have a career that can support um the family if mm. they were to for example become a weirdo because my grandma <laughs> was a weirdo and uh so Hang on. She... In, what, in what way was she a weirdo and why did that make her a good doctor <laughs> Oh, sorry, as in um, a widow, as in like... Um, a widow. Like has oh. Widows, yeah, I said the wrong thing, sorry. <laughs> yeah, widowed, yeah. That makes much more sense. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah so then um, because my grandpa died when my mum was quite young, so then my mum had this uh, mentality that women had to have financial stability to look after the family if um, bad things happened. And mm. so my mum always thought that, oh, you know, you've got your piano side, that's fine. I'm happy that, you know, you're enjoying your music, but then I want you to have um, a career as a GP and then that way you can be around your children and look after them when they grow up and then maybe also teach piano from home. So you can do music and you can do G um, be a GP, do both of them, uh, as long as you can be home and look after your children while earning money. So I was like, that was what I just grew up with. My mum was like paving the path for me. Like, you know, this is what your grandma did. This is how she was able to look after the family after grandpa wasn't around. So you should go down that path, but include music as part of your life. 
Yep. Okay. I, look, it, it is. Um, I I don't know whether it's it's a purely an Asian mentality or a refugee mentality because I don't know what your your heritage necessarily. But um, so my my parents are both GPs, and so I I was definitely encouraged to to be a, a doctor, just you know, take on the family industry. And I remember in high school. All of my friends, I, I yeah, I, I naturally gravitate towards other Asian people. We all had the same kind of experience where our parents wanted us to get high-paying jobs, um, and but it was almost irrespective of what our interest was. It was just so if you were intelligent enough, it was there was this almost obligation that you shouldn't be essentially wasting your intelligence on a job that doesn't require you to think hard every day. So that was doctor, lawyer, dentist, you know, anything with the health professions, which. In my opinion, actually, it kind of, I mean, it's it's nice. It's not. It's a nice idea, and certainly, um, being a parent myself, I understand that you want security for your kids. You want them to feel safe, and financial security is a big part of you know general life security. But at the same time, and from what obviously you've discovered as part of your career, at some point, that security isn't necessarily worth it. That if what you're doing isn't something you're enjoying, or isn't something that brings you. Uh, makes you feel good when you when you finish at the end of the day, then really, is it necessarily worth having the security if you have to work a job you hate, you know? Yeah. Um, that's the thing I've been thinking about as well because when I'm teaching students, a lot of the times my students are in primary school, high school, going into VCE that need to choose their VCE subjects. And they ask me questions like, how do I choose what I want to do with my life? And like, because I've been through that situation as well, where I've had to decide, you know, whether I wanted to pursue music, even though it doesn't actually um, give the financial stability, I would usually suggest to my students, like, you still have to do things that you don't like in order to do things you like. So um, just need to um, grind through it. So like, I didn't particularly like science, but the thing is the opportunities it gave me to be able to, in university, I was tutoring math, science and all the academic subjects as well out on top of the music. So I was tutoring academic subjects as well as music in order to earn um, enough money to pay for my textbooks at uni. So I had to do things that I didn't like um, in order to do what I love today. So um, that's the suggestion I usually give to the students. Don't just follow your dream blindly. You still need to have that stability. You still need to be realistic and be realistic and then also pursue your dreams as well. So don't just follow your dreams wholeheartedly and then um, have no backup plan. So that so you finish your science degree. This, this leads in nicely. So you finish your science degree. What happened after that? So um, I finished my science degree and then I applied for business consulting jobs because I didn't want to be a scientist. <laughs> to be a scientist, you had to do honours and then the PhD. And I was like, no, I had enough of science after three years. Oh, no, actually, I, it took me five years to complete it because I failed so much. Oh, wow. So I was there for five years and I was like, I'm out. That's it. No more science for me. I want to do something that's got social interaction, that's fun. I can travel. Um, I just wanted to just have a new um, area to start with again and see if I would like that better than science. So I tried business consulting because at the careers fairs, there was a lot of business consulting firms. Mm -hmm. And I, when I 
talked to the representatives, I liked um, I liked them who were representing the company, and I thought it would be very fun to work for consulting firms. So I applied for consulting jobs. Um, I was trained up in the interviews on what to say, and um, I was lucky in that um, I was applying in my final year university. So. My first year university, because I failed so many subjects, it didn't really look that good, my um, report. But on this, in the second year, I improved my marks enough for the grad programs to see that, you know, I was doing okay in mm. second year. So they were actually looking at my report and um, in the interviews, they actually said that, yeah, we understand that you um, didn't do so well in first year. And the thing is, in your resume, we actually looked at your piano teaching um, experience. Mm. That's what stood out to us, that you were doing a science degree that was heavily, um, like the contact hours, like, you know, you had to spend so much time to do a science degree on top of teaching piano. That shows that you've got good time management skills and people skills to mm. be able to do both. So we chose you despite your marks, yeah. um, because you've got that people skill and the time management skill. So we can train you up to do what you need to do. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, so marks are not everything. That was the aha moment in the interview yeah. where I was like, so I was chosen, even though I was failing so much at university. And you're saying that failing is, you know, not bad. Um, but what you've done about it and how you've managed to overcome this is why we chose you mm -hmm. and I'm like oh wow so um, um I was like I say I was so happy that you chose me even though I failed because I was like really sad that I wouldn't get any offers and then I asked the question I go if I was to be accepted into the grad program would I still be able to continue teaching piano and she was honest with me and she goes no mm -hmm. you will have no time and at that moment, I was like, so I spent at least eight to 10 years already at the time teaching piano. I've built this word of mouth, this rapport with the students. And if I was to be accepted, they are saying that actually I need to quit my music entirely. Um, at the time, I remember companies were not promoting um, for their staff to actually have side hobbies. I remember at the time it was like very strict, like you have to devote your life to the company. It's only recent times that now the companies are allowing you to work from home and um, have all these other passions and promoting your other passions. Mm. But at the time, I remember it was like, no, like once you get into the grad program, that's your life. So that's what happened. I was told that I can't continue teaching music and um, I had to make, make a decision. I was like, I had to sign a contract if I was to do the grad program for like two, three years. And I was thinking, I can't commit to this. I go, I'm still, I was like 21 at the time. Mm. And 21, you're like, the world is your oyster. Like I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I've got so many things I want to do. Mm. I'm not going to sign my life away. So I decided to teach piano. Then my mentor, who was my piano teacher at the time, who is still my um, piano teacher now, helping me out with everything. She said that um, go do your singing competitions um, because I was doing a lot of singing competitions at the time. Mm. I was like trying to crack it to get into the industry to get a record deal. 
my mentor said, just do your competitions, do everything you need to do to see if you can get into the industry. If you don't make it, then you can pretty much take over the music school, the music school that she had. Oh. And um, so I had a backup plan. Like I was given an offer very early on that I was allowed to do what I wanted to do. And um, then if it fell through, I could teach piano as a career, full-time career. So um, that's what I did. I went from business consulting and then I was doing full-on singing competitions. I went and applied to do a diploma in popular music performance to learn how to do stagecraft and music composition. Um, I was fully immersed for a year into the diploma of music. Um, they kept on doing my singing competitions and um, I didn't get a record deal, but then eventually it got to a stage where my um, time was up. Like, you know, I had to decide whether to take over the music school or not. Mm-hmm. And so I took up the offer and I was like at time up 24. So it was quite, I was quite young to yeah. be uh, starting the music school. Everything happened really early, like from 14 teaching piano and then 24 starting the music school. Um, and it was all because of my mentor. Um, she guided me through. That's why I would say, like, it's so important to have a great mentor. Like, she helped me with most of my um, early beginnings for piano. And then she's also still guiding me through um, if when I encounter problems when running the music school. She's still there guiding me like a mother, life coach. So I see piano teaching as not just even teaching music lessons and just teaching you how to play the piano. It's really like a life coaching session, teaching you how to deal with problems and how to approach it and not just play the piano. And particularly, uh, I mean, in, in, a, in a creative industry like yours, there is a lot of emotional turmoil that needs to be resolved. There's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of rejection, um, a lot of yes. yeah, having to work with other people, having to sort of make compromises and sacrifices in order to achieve a grander goal. So there are a lot of um, life lessons, I think, that can be learned from being in the creative industry. And it sounds like you're, um, you're, you're taking on a very... Education, educator kind of stance on it, which is to be more promoting of life skills as well as teaching the actual skill you're trying to teach too. Yes, exactly. That actually um, reminds me. Um, the reason why I felt like I had to grow up so much was because I tried to enter the entertainment industry. And um, so at the time I was 18, 21, when I was going for the singing competitions. And it's really, really, um, how would I say it? Like they take advantage of all the young performers who have a dream. So I found that when I was going for the industry, um, I mean, the singing competitions, um, a lot of the times they would look at you and then just um, treat you like you're just one of them. Like, you know, or you could be... Um, used in particular ways. So I was competing in a lot of competitions in the Asian community, mm-hmm. so for Chinese singing competitions. And um, so a lot of the times it was like you had to do a lot of, uh, how would I say it? Um, there was a lot of networking involved mm. in the competitions. Um, it wasn't about skill. And then I was like, 
there was a lot of things that what I was trained to believe as you know you practice hard you focus on your own uh, performance and then you know you will be rewarded that's that's what I was trained to believe and then um, you go into the industry and you're like no you actually hard work doesn't pay off well, like, it's, it's a different kind yeah. of hard work, isn't it? Because I, I, I'm, I'm trying to break into screenwriting and, and I'm, I'm doing a lot of what you did when you were younger. And because I, my, I only had my career change epiphany now in my mid-30s. But um, it, it is a similar kind of thing where you ask people, you ask any writer out there, what is the secret to getting in? They're like, there is no secret. It's just luck. If you, if you happen to know the right people, get someone to see your script in the, in, at the right time in the right way and it's the right kind of environment, there's enough funding, um, then it works. But if it doesn't, it doesn't. And even people who are established writers, even they still have to struggle and fight and 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 whatnot. And so I, I like I I respect what you what you went through because networking, as I understand it, is a big deal. It is an important thing. Mm. Knowing the right kind of people. And I am the worst at networking. I am absolutely awful. Like going up to a complete stranger and just either promoting myself or talking about myself is just it is my worst nightmare. So, and that that's a big inhibition for me because I, I, like you, always, I, I'm off the velocity that life should be a meritocracy. If you're good at what you do, then someone should notice and you should be rewarded for the work that you do. But it's not always like that. In fact, and particularly in the creative industry, there's no linear path. There's no set number of things that you do. There are no points that you earn and which will then allow you to do the next thing. It is, you know, in, essentially it's luck. You run to the right person, go to the right event. That's how it is. So for, to have to do that at such an early age, you know, 18 years old, when you're still figuring yourself out, it's only like you were still in the middle of a science degree. So you still weren't quite sure how to commit to things. I mean, that would have been incredibly difficult. It is, and especially there's no textbook that teaches you how to network. That's the hardest thing. When you actually grew up and you were studying your whole life, everything you learnt was through methods and systems, step-by-step guides, and suddenly you're thrown into this industry where there's no step-by-step guide on how to do this. You just got to do it and figure it out yourself. That's why I felt like, wow, like, you know, we've been sheltered our whole life studying our parents have said you know do well in school and then get a good job everything was like paved out it was a step-by-step guide this is what you do but the entertainment industry there's no it's like you know whatever goes it's what's trending at the time then they'll go to in that direction you have to be innovative like it's not set and I was just always not sure if I was doing anything anything right in the industry always felt like you know, like I had the need to understand the industry. It was so bad because also analytical from the science degree. I was mm-hmm. like trying to analyze this entertainment industry, go, all right, I'm going to work out the system, how to do this. And I couldn't. And it just really bugged me because I couldn't work out the system and the steps and the guide to work out how to do this. And um, eventually I just focused more on the education side because um, it was much more systematic and structured. So then through pursuing music further, what's funny was that although I didn't win the competitions, I came second and third, which means you don't get the record deal. And um, I was pursuing the Diploma of Popular Music Performance and actually doing everything more formally, formal training to get into the pop industry. Mm. And um, what's funny was after I graduated, I was um, invited to become the judge for the competition 
that I was entering. So oh. I didn't win that competition, but then I got invited back as a judge and a vocal coach to coach the finalists. So I was like, I just felt like, you know, oh, the industry is so different to what I thought it would be. Like I was, my mind was always about, oh, you know, I need to win this competition to get a record deal. Like this is, you know, um, important to me. And then when I became a judge and a vocal coach, I realized that, no, actually, I'm actually glad that I didn't get a record deal. <laughs> like now being in this position of being the judge and vocal coach, I feel like now I'm like, now respect, I got the respect that I always wanted in the industry. As a singer, entering singing competitions, there was no respect. Mm. It was like, you are like just whoever you, we want you to be. Mm. Like you don't have an identity. But then as a judge and a vocal coach in a different position, on the other side of the competition, I was able to get the respect and the understanding that I always tried to um, look for and Finally, it, and, I understood it. And it is interesting how sometimes um, you don't really, you don't always necessarily see what it is you want from something until, uh, in part, you might have lost it, or, or in part, you've sort of looked at it from the other side. And so that that seems to be what happened to you is that you thought what you wanted maybe was the fame or the notoriety, but actually, you just wanted the recognition. Yes, exactly. I think I just wanted the appreciation and respect that I was really passionate about music and I just never got it while doing singing competitions until I became a judge. So I think uh, that's the most important thing, what, what I'm looking for, respect, appreciation. I think that's what we all look for, I think, in a job as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if I mean, this is this is a, a funny way of looking at it. But if you look at fame as a way of validation, now fame is obviously very fickle and doesn't always necessarily reflect your skill. It's not, it's not necessarily equivalent to your skill, but it is another way of you being respected and you giving giving or being validated uh, for whatever it is you're choosing to put out there. So, but but everyone gets it in different ways, and I guess. For some, from what I gather from what you're saying, what you're you were looking for was yeah the 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 authority, the giving the recognition that you have the talent and that your your talent is is good enough that it is worth passing on to other people. Yes. Hmm. Um, okay. So so you're you're 24. You now own a business, a music school. Is that is that where we're up to now? <laughs> Yes, so then uh, so at the time, 24, owned a music school. Then I started doing concerts. And um, so I was starting to organise concerts for the students. And um, I didn't think too much about it at the time because um, I just thought it was just something that teachers would do to organise concerts for the students at the end of the year. And then eventually we were organising more and more concerts at different locations. And through organising concerts, that was our promotion for the music school. And it grew from there that um, we were starting to get known for offering more performance opportunities mm. for the students. And then eventually because of that, it gave me the um, opportunity to meet more professional performance. And um, what's funny is that our parents were quite involved with um, everything that we do at the time because when I was starting out, I was still in university, so they would have seen me as like their daughter. And a lot of my students stay with me for around 10 years for lessons. So we see each other every week for 10 years and then the parents become our family and our friends. So they actually help us with introducing us to 
more professionals mm -hmm. to help us organize concerts and other things. So that it just kept growing from there. Once the musical school started, I had to figure out everything myself, like how to do websites and how to do um, social media marketing. At the time, I remember it was still Yellow Pages. Yeah. So it was still Yellow Pages. Yeah. Um, you had to pay Yellow Pages to do online advertising. And then eventually it slowly went into Facebook advertising. Mm. But I started the piano teaching business when it was all yellow pages, printed yellow pages. <laughs> and eventually I just had to learn to improve on the advertising techniques and um, learn everything from there as a business owner on top of trying to pursue um, all my other passion projects as well. I That's mean, the thing with music. It's like you, have to, you want to do so many different things. I didn't want to just do music. I was pursuing a lot of different passion projects. And that's good. I mean, having if you're the kind of person... Let's start again. I mean, I know there are lots of people out there who don't see their job as a career, but it's purely a way of facilitating other things. But if you are the kind of person who really loves their job, but also likes variety, there's nothing wrong with that. Like As you said, you know, um, when you were looking into the business consulting, the, the expectation at that time was that that was all you did, that your life was your job and you never had anything else. Um, but I think we're all, the world is learning that we are not just one thing. You know, Our identity is not defined by one particular word or action or job or choice, that we are a, a multitude of things and we need to make room for that. We need to make sure that we have all the space and the time and the resources to be able to explore because that's how we stay sane that's how we that's how we achieve happiness is by um you know uh exploring all the different facets of our personality and so i think that's what's happened with you as well is that yes you had a lot of things to do but and yes there were some things that you were required to do like learning how to run a business which i do want to talk about um but at the same time it was still a lot about you making yourself happy and you making yourself satisfied with the life that you led. Yes. Um, that's the thing with, um, I find with the career paths now, like it's not so linear as back then. I find back then, like, you know, it was more simple, maybe because technology wasn't around yet. But then now, um, oh, some of my students are always asking me, you know, I don't know what to do with my life. You know, I don't know what to choose like they make it sound like you can only do one thing the mentality still i think at the moment with our gen younger generation is that you can only choose one and i think we need to um somehow um promote i think in schools as well that you can do many things as well but i don't know if we can do that in schools i, I, <laughs> I don't know if schools want to promote that <laughs> well that's part of the problem i think i think schools schools to some degree offer variety so i, I know that Particularly, a lot of the better funded schools, they'll often have, you know, extracurriculars, sports and music and all those sorts of things. But um, but mm. the system itself is still entrenched in the idea that your path has to be linear. So in order to, so for example, getting into medicine, you know, in order to get into medicine, you have to do certain prerequisites. You have to do chemistry, you have to do English, you have to get a certain score. And if you want to get that score and then you have to, you know, so it's, it's still a very structured ideal. And, but and so then what happens is that all the education is focused on getting into one particular course, whereas realistically, um, we are in a part-time world. We're in a flex-time world. There are people who will work from home, who will spend more time, who don't have to be in the office in order to do their work, who will dedicate more time to their hobbies, which may earn the money, may not. But it's. I think I, I agree with you that ideally our education system should be... Um, 
really molding the next generation to not just teach them rote facts, but about how to think, about how to look at their world, how to interpret their environment and how to figure out what it is they want for themselves. I, I still personally think that it is a ridiculous expectation to make a 17 or 18 year old figure out exactly what they want to do for the rest of their lives, to tell them this is the course you're going into and you need to stick with it and you need to finish it and that's how you get to the end. Whereas what you know the average now the average number of times that we'll change our careers is five to six times in our lifetime and how frequently that happens like how how often those career changes happen will vary from person to person but that's a big number you know when i when i was growing up i i thought there was one career that 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 being a doctor was all there was ever going to be i was going to get my degree finish it in my you know late 20s early 30s and then i would be a doctor till i was in my 60s I'm now 34 mm. and I know that to be 100% untrue, that that is definitely not the life that I, I want to lead. And I, I, I wish that someone had told me this. I mean, maybe, maybe I wouldn't have listened. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have understood it at 17, but I certainly understand it now that I wish someone had told me, hey, look, you can be whatever you want to be. You have, yes, as you said earlier, you have to balance up the, the, the security and having a backup plan and having something that isn't necessarily as, um, as ephemeral as, as cre- the creative industry is. But at the same time, it doesn't mean you can't pursue it. You just need to figure out the balance between the two. Yeah, that's so interesting that you say that because it reminds me of um, what my mum said to me one time when I was like five, six years old. I remember I was in the city and then my mum just pointed up at a building and said that, yeah, so when you grow up, yeah, you can work in one of these tall buildings in the CBD. Like, you know, like it's like um, this is the reward you get for <laughs> after you study really hard. You're going to work in one of these CBD buildings in a nice office job up there. Mm. And I'm looking up there and I'm like, but I want to be a dancer, I want to do, you know, singing and, you know, so it's like, so you're telling me I'm going to be stuck up there? (laughs) So, like, and the thing is, oh, it's funny because my mind was so creative when I was a kid, but I was so scared to tell my parents about it. Like, they would always say, you know, oh, how about you should do this when you grow up? And they would always give me suggestions and, um, but the thing is, like, they would say things as a suggestion, like, oh, maybe you should try out for a beauty pageant or something like that. But they, it was not like they were saying it seriously. Mm. It was like they'll just say it. And then, like, in my mind, I was like, you know, every time I watch the new TV series, I'll be like, oh, I want to be a nurse. Oh, I want to be a doctor. <laughs> I want to be a pilot. And then I'll be, I'll just be so scared to, like, share that with my parents because then they would think that I'm flaky because that was the most frowned upon thing in, I think, in the Asian community, oh, it's yeah. like, you know, you have to be focused on one career. Why do you want to be so many things? But, you know, in the Western culture, you can do whatever you want. So um, my mentor is an Australian, um, really nice lady. So I feel like, um, like, you know, the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, how he had two dads. I'm, a, I'm aware um, of the book. I don't know what the series is actually about, though. Okay. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad is about... Um, the author he had two fathers different mindsets one's academic and one's about um finding a business two different ways of raising children and mindsets so my mentor was all about yes you can do whatever you want you know this is how you do it gives me the method and then i go and do whatever i want to achieve it like anything i want to do my mentor was always yes you can do it here's how um I felt like my mum was more like, yes, you can do it, but, you know, you got to think about, you know, your stability. You know, this is not stable. Like, you know, you don't want to be doing so many jobs. You just want to do one job 
and then come home to the family. Mm. So it was a very contradicting way of thinking, but because I was so lucky to have both growing up, that's the reason why I had the confidence to go against my own cultural background of what was expected and normal to pursue my dreams in music. Because when I was pursuing my dreams as um, a musician and as a piano teacher, I had um, family friends that would say, oh, what are you doing that for? Go work mm. at Coles. <laughs> you know, you're, better off, you're better off being a checkout chick than working as a piano teacher. Like, I had so many um, family friends that would actually not say it was a good thing teaching piano at such a young age. They always thought that I was not having a prop. It was not a proper job to them. They would say that, you know, so that's not even a job. How did your parents feel about it? Um, my parents, um, well, my parents passed away when I was young. So mm. my mum passed away when I was 14 and then my dad passed away when I was 15. So that's why I had the traditional Asian upbringing. And then um, after that, I had the Western upbringing. Mm. So that's the thing, like, you know, a lot of things that my parents taught me when I was little, like I did the science degree because it was in me that I wanted to kind of make them happy. I wanted to do science. I wanted to do med. So that way I know they'll be proud of me. And eventually once I was in there, I was like, no, I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, and then I just, you know, I prayed to my parents. I was like, I love you, but I'm really unhappy. Mm. And then if you really love me, please give me your blessings to let me do my music. So I actually would do that. Like, you know, I got to one point where I like, I felt like such a bad daughter. Like I was not doing what they wanted me to do. That would make them happy. And then I was like, it was at the turmoil where like, you know, yes, they've passed away, but at the same time, I'm trying to live on their dream for me. And it's hard because it's, uh, I, I, I know as, as a parent myself, I can, I've, I understand now that sometimes when you when you communicate your intentions to your child, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily come out right, or the way you intend to deliver it isn't necessarily how it's received. And I guess it's hard because because my my dad died when I was fourteen as well, and I um I wonder sometimes whether he'd be happy with the life I lead now. And he, he, as a parent, I kind of realize that okay, my ultimately my my dad and my mum they want me to be happy, but what they thought would make me happy isn't necessarily what I thought would make me happy. So as much as they wanted me to live a certain life, it wasn't... I mean, look, it depends on the parent. I'm not saying every every strict Asian parent is the same way, but I understand now f- from my parents that it was more about... They want they, they didn't want me to feel insecure. They didn't want me to, to have to worry about where the next paycheck was coming from. They didn't want me to have to worry about um, whether I was going to be able to afford rent or buy a house. And so in order to set that up, they wanted they wanted me to earn, have a good job and earn a lot of money. And, and that way I could feel secure because that was the thing that made them happy. Uh, whereas, you know, one, if, if your parents were around to see you today, if you could explain to them what it was, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe they would be happy that they would be okay with what you were doing because ultimately one would hope that was their intent all along. Not that you got, a science job that you were a scientist um, or, or that you met any other classic Asian obligations, but that you did something that made you feel comfortable and secure. 
yeah, that's, that's, I hope so. Because <laughs> mm. at the moment I'm still like hoping that. And then look, all the sacrifices that came with it. Um, I think being in the music industry, especially doing business, like it's so glamorized at the moment that it's so easy. Um, I'm not sure if my parents would be um, supportive of me going down this path because it is a harder path. They did mention to me since I was little that um, if you go down the path of business and um, not the path that we suggest, which is study good, study well, and get a job. If you go down that path, your life is going to be harder. Like my parents were aware that if you follow your dreams down the path that I wanted, it would be a much harder time for you than this other path. So that's the thing. I think my parents were also a bit um, undecided as well. They wanted me to have an easy life. Mm but they knew that my dreams would give me the hard life. Yeah. So then that's the thing. They didn't know what to do because they, in the end, deep down, they just wanted me to have a cruisy life where I could just get a paycheck and then switch off and look after my family. That was more what they were wanting for me to have a family. Mm. And I think it's kind of maybe at the time frowned upon for girls to be so ambitious and to have a career. It was like, you know, you're supposed to be home looking after the kids. You're not supposed to be, you know, focusing full time on your career. Um, So my dad was a bit worried. Like he's like, you know, I don't want Lena to be too smart. You know, she's not going to be able to get married. You know, it's like no guy's going to want her if she is too good. You know, she can't be too good. You have to, you know, dumb her down a little bit. Um, So my dad was always like that, you know, don't let her, um, you know, be too strong. Mama was like, no way. Like, you know, I need her to be financially stable mm. <laughs> to support her own family if anything happened. Um, so then my, yeah, my parents were funny. My dad was just like, no, don't, you know, don't be too independent. My mom was like, yes, you have to be independent. Um, so then, yeah, that's, I don't know. We steered off. What was the question? Again? Well, that, that's okay. It doesn't matter what the original question was, but it is, again, it, it is interesting the, cause it sounds to me like your parents were influenced by their upbringing. So with your mum, seeing what happened with her mum and how she had to support herself. So her, her belief and how she chose the parent was based off of that. So we all, we all learn from the generation above us. The hope is just, but where the trick comes, and I'm not saying I'm some sort of expert parent by any means, but I think there has to be some degree of adaptability and there has to be some degree of acceptance. So, so once again, your mum and your dad seemingly had good intentions. Your dad, as you said, you, your parents wanted you to have an easy life, but the way to for you to achieve that the way they thought you should achieve that was vastly different from the way that you necessarily wanted to achieve it um and i think there is a there is also a big difference between having an easy life and having a good life because uh, don't get me wrong i like a good lazy day i like a day when i can just be at home in my pajamas and watch some tv you know that's that's still good but it doesn't necessarily mean that's one of what I want to do every day. It doesn't mean that's what I, that mm. I just want to be um, mentally unstimulated forever. And that's all, uh, you know, I'll enjoy it for a few weeks, but then I'll be like, mm, I'm bored now. So, you know, everyone gets their happiness from different things. And as parents, one would hope that, you know, for the next generation that we teach our kids that, that's what, that, that's what happiness is, that happiness will vary from person to person and how you achieve it who you get it from, where you get it from and being willing to pursue it in a way that is meaningful with guidance and support, of course, but being able to pursue it is, is 
the the preference really, no matter how hard or easy it may be. Mm. And that's why it's hard because like, um, if my parents were around, I'm sure they would support me fully. And then because I didn't have that strong supporting network, like my brother took on the role of this, the person, like the parental role for me, although he was my younger brother, he had to sacrifice his life and career to help me follow my dreams because to be honest to do music you do need financials you need the funding to kickstart it mm. and to actually perf performing music really doesn't pay much and then um at the time when i was like doing a lot of gigs it still wasn't enough to pay the bills so my brother had to work full time to actually fund it so he deferred his university to fund my dream and then eventually when I want to start music school, then he continued working to help me kickstart the music school. And then when we want to grow, he continued to financially fund it. So the thing is like, it's important to follow your dreams, but at the same time, I do feel like you, without the support, like you can't do it on your own. Mm. So like, I wouldn't say that I did everything on my own. Like, I do credit a lot of my success to a lot of people, my mentor who actually helped me go from a, young girl 14 years old till now to be able to run the music school and be sane and not go crazy mm. and then um, i've got my brother who's financially always supporting me whenever i need um, financials to grow the music school he's there he'll sacrifice everything to do it. and um that's important that's the thing with the um sacrificing oh that's the thing like someone needs to sacrifice mm. um to do it like you need to sacrifice to follow your dreams and then people around you also sacrifice something to help you achieve your dream and that's something that i want to also like mention because i didn't do it on my own but i actually got help and then i'm also very grateful that i got help and that's why i work so hard so that i don't feel that the sacrifice that they made was wasted so one of the things I always get fascinated by is someone like yourself who's very entrepreneurial. The idea of, of uh, you know, taking over a business and having to learn how to run a business. Uh, what what was that experience like for you? It was like um, entering the entertainment industry all over again. No rule books, no guidebooks, um, no information to be found of what you need to do step by step, I didn't even know how to do my taxes. Like mm -hmm. I had no idea how to do bookkeeping. I didn't know how to do um, advertising. Like, you know, where you write um, little short descriptions of your business, like writing was my worst subject at high school. <laughs> I was the worst at English. Like being born in Australia, we can speak it, but then writing's a different story. Mm. So. I had to branch off into copywriting and I had to figure it out as I go. Um, the flyers, I was designing myself on Microsoft Word. It was horrible, like the first <laughs> flyers I ever had. It was like a 14-year-old designing a flyer and then we were <laughs> dropping it in letterboxes in our neighborhood. So my brother would be going around with his friends late night dropping these flyers. And so all this work that we put into it, like, we didn't get any results from it. Like we did so many litter box droppings and no one called in. And then I look back at the flyers nowadays. I'm like, this is really bad. <laughs> like I wouldn't <laughs> even call up to do piano lessons if I saw this. And so 
there were so many things that was like DIY. You had to do everything yourself. Like you had no money to pay for a graphic designer to do anything. Like everything that I did looked like it was do it yourself mm. and budget. So then eventually it was just finding ways to survive. So um, I was doing everything that other piano teachers weren't doing. So if piano teachers stopped teaching at 6 p.m. for the evening, I would work till 10 p.m. So I would get all the students that um, where they couldn't find a teacher that would teach after 6 p.m. Mm. I would take on all those students. So I would do everything opposite to what the industry was doing. That was because I knew I was young, I was inexperienced, I didn't know what was going on. Um, to make up for that lack, I would charge really cheap. Um, I remember my first student when I was 14 was only $9 for half hour. So I started off really, really low the prices because I knew I lacked experience. And then with when I was in university, I was also charging very cheap, like $13 only for half an hour. What is like um, that industry kind of price normally? Because I, I don't know as a point of reference. Yeah, at the time, the price would have been like $25 to $35 for half an hour. Mm, okay. And then nowadays, it's around 35 to $40 for half hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the time, like, you know, teachers were charging like $25, $30 for half an hour. And then I'm only charging $13. Yeah. So that's why um, it really helped me build the um, music school up because I was um, privately teaching at low prices and then I was having a waiting list as well because of that. So I had a waiting list and then my piano teacher at the time was also passing me students as well because she had a waiting list. So we had both waiting lists <laughs> and then slowly um, we built it up from there. So as um, my experience um, went up, my students were also showing results. So my students were doing exams and then um, when the results came in, it was good advertising for the studio. So slowly as more student results came in, my fees could go up from there. So I just had to start from the bottom where I was like, I acknowledged that I had no experience, I was young and that um, I would be disadvantaged. So how would I prevent people from complaining by charging cheaper mm. and then um so that really helped because i was charging so cheap like parents were really happy because i was over delivering yeah i was preparing students for exams that other teachers would do for 35 dollars for half an hour so i would also because i was teaching in the western suburbs the students had limited resources so what i found was i teach both uh, Western suburbs and Eastern suburbs now. So at the time when I was teaching in the Western suburbs, the problem was that the students didn't have a piano to practice on. They um, sometimes was practicing on a digital piano and couldn't afford an acoustic piano. The exams are on an acoustic piano. Mm. So it's very different playing on a digital and an acoustic. And then I had to be creative with how do I teach students who don't have a piano who don't have money to buy music books to also just do half an hour lessons or even 20 minutes. Like they couldn't even afford half an hour. Some of the students, they could only do 20 minute lessons instead of the standard 30 minutes, how to help these students still do exams and not be disadvantaged up against students who had the resources and the financials. So since little, I had to be creative with how to produce results with the limited resources. 
and that's why I think um, the the system that I've created at the music school at the moment is how to do that and that's why I feel like um, the music school is growing because we don't need you to be rich and have all the resources in order to do well in piano. We can give you similar opportunities even if you are middle class or low income family. Is that also what led you to write your own books as well? Yes. Um, so with the books, I wrote a lot of things that um, I wish I knew when I was teaching piano because when I was teaching piano, there was no guide to any of that. Um, let me think about um, So, for example, with the CDs that I created, so because of the singing competition, they asked me to train up a lot of finalists, um, the grand finalists who have had never had formal singing training. So I was asked to help contestants who never learned singing before, didn't know how to breathe, didn't know how to um, sing in tune exactly and in time to win a record deal. So I would then have to find ways to create a CD that would allow them to practice at home on top of the rigorous um, competition schedule that they had already to build the foundations so that they can do well in their performance in the finals. So like a lot of the materials that I created was more of an entry point because a lot of the times um, I've had transfer students or students who are trying to do something that is way beyond their level. Mm. And uh, there was, and the thing is, I think um, a lot of teachers do struggle with teaching foundations. Like, you know, we, it's easy to teach a student who already knows how to play notes, but it's hard to teach them exactly how to get the right sound, the most basic principles. So then um, a lot of my materials is working on um, the entry point, the foundations. Um, the ebooks that I created for our online courses is more for students who don't have the finances to learn piano. Um, at the primary schools I teach at, um, at the time there was one girl who was standing outside my piano room door and just watched me teach piano during recess and lunchtime. And then I asked her one day, I was like, oh, why are you standing here? And um, she goes, I've got pocket money for my parents. Um, I know it's only enough for one lesson. Um, can you teach me piano? Like, I'll keep saving up my pocket money to pay you, but then can you teach me? Um, because the days that I can't afford lessons, um, I'll just stand here and watch. And I was like, oh, I was like in tears. Mm. Um, and then um, at the time, I was just like, oh, my goodness. Like, they are the students that I want to teach, like, you know, that are willing to learn. Mm. Um, but she didn't have the funding. And then, um, like, I so wanted to teach her for free. But then I knew that if I did that, then, you know, that would be really hard. Like, it's in a primary school. Like, if I do one person for free, what's going to happen? Exactly. The It'll be a get around. So then, like, I couldn't do it. And then... Um, so then because of her, um, I started to think of what ways can I use the skills that I have to help people like her to have the opportunity to learn piano. So then, um, yeah, I created these online piano courses to 
um, help students who don't um, have the opportunity to learn but then um, don't feel disadvantaged because I think that's the hardest thing like um, because my parents passed away when I was so young the world saw me as a minor and I had no rights no one listened to me no one cared about what I thought no one cared about my feelings like because I I didn't have a guardian at the time either because my guardian um, gave up his role as my guardian and passed me over to um, child protection and the Department of Human Services so we were um, we had a social worker who had to visit us every month so because I was in a situation when I was so young where like no one cared about like you know the well-being of us except the government and then so then I wanted to you know not let other girls that I come across have that feeling of disadvantage mm. as well so then um, yeah a lot of the things that I do is because I've been through the hard times and if I had someone um, to could offer me the help that I needed at the time when I needed it um, it's it changes your life and then my mentor who was my piano teacher was that person like she changed my life like with teaching me piano and getting me started in piano teaching and then um, making me believe that you know um, everything is possible like don't see what happened to you and what your financials as a disadvantage because I have low self-confidence in believing that um, I'm so disadvantaged up against private school kids like I always look at the private school children where they have such a head start in life and um, they've achieved things like in the first 10 years of their life that has taken me 20 years to achieve on my own and then that so I do feel like you know disadvantaged in that way but my mentor has always said to me that you know like my unique strengths so um, that's why I do with all the materials that I write it's very meaningful it's more um, motivational because I have an upcoming book called piano debuts it's a real motivational holistic guide to how to overcome stage fright how to prepare for a performance how to not compare yourself with others um, how to deal with piano competitions um, mind setting positive thinking so all these things that I had to learn myself and learn through other people's guidance, I've placed all of this into the book to help the students understand that mistakes are not bad and that, yes, there will be failures. But the thing is, this is how you should think about it. This is how you should approach it when bad things happen. So, um, yes, yeah, so these are all the books I'm creating. I'm going to be always creating new books and content um, based on what I feel like our students need because a lot of those students questions I get in lessons are repetitive like they ask pretty much similar things like oh how do I choose a career that makes me happy that's really hard to answer in one lesson I go you know I should write a book about it let's say that you know then I can gift you the book and you can use it as a guide. So every time in life that you go through any struggle, refer back to the guide. I think that's what I would like. I wished my mum would have written me a guide mm. on growing up um, because my mum has so many good philosophies and um, 
teachings and methods about how to approach hardships in life. Like a lot of the times when I have a hardship that I'm facing, I really use the principles that my mom taught me since I was little. So there was a lot of things my parents taught me since I was little that helped me overcome struggles now. And the, my parents built that resilience in me since a young age as well, which is very important because my parents would have never expected to leave us when I was in high school. But because they were good in that they built that resilience in us since a young age on how to face problems, like they never avoided problems. Every time there was a problem, they would always talk it out with me. And I was never told to not express my opinions. Um, they always said that, you know, mum and dad might not be always right, but if you think we are forcing you to do something that you don't want to do and that we are in the wrong, you have to let us know because we are human too. We're not always right. And I was like, I've got cool parents. Like, you know, most parents are like, you shut up, don't talk, listen to me. Mm. And my parents were always like, so how do you feel? Mm. You know, like, you know, is there anything you want to say to us? Like it was very um, different kind of um, parenting, maybe because my parents were much older when they had me as well. They were like in their mid thirties when they had me, they had a lot of life experience before them, before they had me. So everything was about how I felt, mm. you know, are you happy? What do you need? Yeah. So that's why, um, yeah, I do credit a lot of my, um, success to my parents and uh, my mentor and my brother. Mm. I know that uh, my, my, my specialty, I, I'm a GP by trade, but my specialty is mental health. And one of the things that I've learned uh, working in this industry is that um, the people who struggle the most are the ones who have no support, the ones who don't have good family, good friends, the ones um, who feel like they're very alone. So it's, it's, it's tough. It is, a, it is a tough world to live in by yourself. And... Um, I think as, as obviously you've, you've been through quite a lot in your life and you've, you've suffered a lot of losses, but you've also had a lot of people there who've been there to lift you up at your hard times. And that's, look, as you said, it, it's made a lot of difference to you. And that's, that's really wonderful to hear. Yeah, that's actually, that's actually something I want to mention as well, asking for help because since um, my parents passed away, like I had to go grief counseling. So in the Asian community, like counseling is frowned upon. Like you do not, you know, share your problems. That's mm. a sign of weakness. Mm. So um, after my parents passed away, I had to undergo grief counseling. And then um, we had to also have school counseling. So I had two counselors. And then so every week, one hour talking about my problems. And then what I learned from these sessions is that when you share your problems, there's always help there. So the counselor would always give me the right direction or the right um, place to go to help me solve that problem. And then, so after these counseling sessions, I realized that, oh, asking for help is not bad. Like, you know, like what's the point of being in your own mind thinking about this problem and not solving it, thinking that no one can help you. And, not share it if you know there is actually help out there i realized every problem we have as long as we share it there is help and then so i was going through grief counseling in high school and then after that um i was 
doing counselling in year 12, then I was accepted into the University of Melbourne under special consideration of excessive domestic responsibilities. And then, um, then Melbourne University allocated me a counsellor as well to continue. Um, I had to see the counsellor at Melbourne University for five years as well during my entire course. So every week I would go see the counsellor and all, all I had to do was share my problems. And my friends were always going, how do you talk for an hour about your problems? Like, you know, how many things do you have to talk about? And then I was just like, I could actually talk on and on and on and on for an hour. And then every time I shared my problems to the counsellor, she would always offer help that the university could give me. So for example, oh, I, I'm struggling with the homework. I can't memorize everything. Um, I don't think I'm gonna pass this exam. Then um, they'll give me extensions on my assignments to university. I was like, oh wow, I didn't realize that was possible. So I've got extensions for my assignments. Um, I've got, um, if I failed my exam, they allowed me to resit the exam. Um, there was a lot of things. Oh, for example, also I couldn't afford to pay some of the fees at the university. Um, they also extended my payment and it gave me a payment plan. So there was a lot of things that I learned through counseling sessions about life that what we saw as weakness is not really a weakness. It's like, it's part of being, you know, sane. Like you need to share your problems. You need to have that venting session. Like it's important to have that venting session, um, especially when you've gone through high amounts of stress. So I only learned that um, we're still stuck on the mentality that, you know, showing signs or showing struggles, you're actually showing your struggles is a sign of weakness apparently. Um, and some friends still say, you know, oh, you shouldn't show too much of that on your social media accounts. But then um, it's how I became who I am. Like I had to share my struggles and be okay to share my struggles so that the right person who hears about this will offer a helping hand. Mm -hmm. And that's how I had the support because I was willing to ask for help and I shared my problems because I find that um, the world we live in, as long as you're willing to share your problems and ask for help, people will help you. Mm. That's a that's a beautiful sentiment, and I, I certainly do agree with that. Um, just to, before we before I wrap up, I do want to ask: What are there any? Let's start again. So, you know, you've you've had a lot of dreams and aspirations. Certainly within the creative industry, you're a singer songwriter, you're an author, you're a business owner. Is there anything else that you still want to achieve for yourself in your career? Um, there's so many things. <laughs> At the moment, I want to travel the world because I had to um, sacrifice traveling to build the business. So I never really got the opportunities to travel that much. And I made a 10 year commitment when I started the business that I would help all the Western suburb students finish their prep to grade eight piano exam and then start teaching at the music school. So now most of the students are now teaching at the music school. They finished grade eight this year. I'm now free to actually live my life for myself. So the last 10 years, I felt like I was living my life for the students. Like I didn't take holidays. It was always just all about how to um, help them achieve everything that they wanted. It was all about them. 
and now finally I actually get to live my life again. So what I want to do is live my own life now, like as Lena, not as the music school owner. Because I think you lose your identity a little bit once you run a business. You become the business. Mm. And then even my little kids, like prep students who just started with me, they all say, thank you, Lena's Music House. <laughs> and, I, and I'm standing right there in front of them like, you know, I'm Lena, you know. <laughs> it's not Lena's Music House. And they're like, yes, Lena's Music House. <laughs> Maybe they think that's your surname, that you were just born. You were, you were born to, to be a music teacher and make, it, make your own music school. Yeah, so then um, I think that's what I want to do for um, the rest now of my life is to really live for myself more and to now give back to the community because the piano teaching goal is done now. I think now is to really, now that we have a team of music teachers who have learnt with me for 10 years, I think now it's great that we can work together and now try to give back to the world and see how we go. That's beautiful. Uh, so Lena, thanks for talking to me. Where can people find out more about you, yourself and your, and your business? Yep. So then we've got a music school website, Lena's Music House and, um, a Facebook page, Instagram page, and we've got a YouTube channel called Show Me by Lena's Music House. Um, so these are all the English speaking students. So all the social media accounts for that. For the Chinese speaking students, we also have um, accounts in China as well. So WeChat, Lena Music. So L-I-N-A-M-U-S-I-K. Um, and you can also follow us on Lena's Music House TikTok China account and Little Red Book. Beautiful. Well, thanks. Thanks again for sharing your story. It was, uh, it, it was, I'm very uh, grateful that you're happy to open up about what sounded like a pretty, pretty rough life that you experienced, but what led you to what sounds like a very satisfying and fulfilling career. Yes. Thank you for having me. Really right. appreciate it. No worries. Thanks listeners for sticking around. I hope you enjoy that. I know I certainly did. Um, make sure that you check out everywhere that Lena can be found, as she just mentioned. Um, make sure you follow us as well. No small jobs, uh, pod.com.au, the Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter handle at no small jobs pod. Um, share your love. Tell everyone that you, you enjoyed what you heard. And if you are interested in being a guest, if you have a story to tell like Lena's, um, email me on guest at no small jobs pod.com.au uh thanks again st- uh, st- hope we hope you enjoyed this episode and you stick around for any future episodes remember there are no small jobs only jobs you haven't discovered yet mm-hmm.